to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast society of graduate students at Western University. I am your host, Sharon Mandur. And I'm your co-host, Carly Sharon. Uh, Carly, do you consider yourself a pessimistic person or optimistic person? I try very hard to be optimistic, but yes, I would say I'm very pessimistic. You're very pessimistic? Why? I don't know. Okay. I- Maybe our guest can tell us about that, because today we have here a neuroscientist, Ashlyn Hersey. Uh, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you, can you just tell us a little bit of what you do? Right. So I am a first year master's student here at Western, and I work with mice. So right now I'm looking to develop and validate a task that I can use in mice that can translate to humans that looks at a phenomenon called cognitive judgment bias. So basically, that's just describing how our emotional or affective state can influence how we interpret ambiguous information or stimuli. So the kind of example I like to give is imagine you're walking down the street and someone makes a comment about your shirt and they say, that's an interesting shirt. Then how do you interpret the ambiguity of this phrase? Like, do you take it pessimistically or optimistically? So if you're in a general positive affective state, you'll normally take an optimistic interpretation of this and think that they're complimenting you. But if you're in a negative affective state, you would normally take a pessimistic interpretation of the phrase and think that it's an insult. So my whole idea here in my project has been to make a, a task using touchscreen technology. So kind of like an iPad for a mouse. So we're using um, that technology to have a task that we can eventually translate to the clinic where humans could use an iPad and do the exact same thing. All right. I see. Carly, I really liked your shirt. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you didn't say it was interesting because if I, if I heard that, I would immediately be like, oh my God, they hate my shirt. I need to go home and change. Like that would be my viewpoint there. Nice. Uh, um, that all sounds super interesting. I really want to know more about mice using like an iPad or touchscreen. Like how do you even get them to do that? Yeah, it's a really fun process, and that's why I was really interested in joining the lab that I'm in, which is like a translational cognitive neuroscience lab. So with our mice, we use um, these chambers that we put the mice in. They're called Buzzy Succeeda chambers, Um, and we basically put them in the chambers to start so they get used to walking around in the chambers, and slowly with each different training phase, we get them used to receiving uh, reward, so they receive strawberry milkshake reward. So it's, it kind of squirts out, and they they like to, they love the flavor, so they get used to getting reward, uh, touching the screen, so when there's different lights or different stimuli that come up, so we kind of phase by phase train them to use the touch screens, and then um, we have different training phases for different tasks, so they sort of sequentially learn that until they can perform the task at normally 80% accuracy. So we can we can monitor their different outputs um, for each task, and that's what they do. Wow, that's right. really cool. Yeah, why strawberry milkshake? Whose idea was that? Um, there was actually work done in my lab that looked at different flavors and like which <laughs> which flavor the mice like best there's like strawberry banana like vanilla strawberry and they like the strawberry one best so we just stuck with that one. Oh, dang, could you imagine <laughs> your whole project is like determining what flavor of milkshakes mice like best like that would be Dude, just that'd so be cool. awesome <laughs> <laughs> but i wanted to ask you then a follow-up like what uh why mice why mice mice are very um helpful in research because we can manipulate different genetics, we can use different uh, drugs like pharmacological manipulations, and we couldn't really do that in higher order animals. So for now we use our mice and hopefully it can translate into humans. So you talked a little bit about manipulations there and I'm just wondering because you said earlier like the whole point of this is to kind of look at um, people having like a positive or a negative outlook. How do you make a mouse 
look at things positively or negatively? Like, what are you doing to these mice to, to study that? Mm-hmm. So we there's a lot of different methods that you can use to induce different effective states. Some people have used different housing conditions. So like enrichment, like more or less enrichment. So like toys or chew blocks um, can influence their effective state. But we've chosen to use a drug use, so pharmacological manipulation. So we use one drug, which is an antidepressant called bupropion to induce a positive effective state. And we have another drug that's called tetrabenazine, which is uh, technically a monoamine transporter inhibitor. So it works on um, a neuro- mainly a neurotransmitter that's called dopamine. So a lot linked to reward processing. So we use that to induce negative effective state. Interesting. Why'd you guys choose to do it that way instead of like the environment way that you said earlier? Uh, we chose to do it this way because um, the drugs we can use, they only last for a certain amount of time. So it's transient. So we were able to use both drugs um, and sort of wash out each drug in between. Um, in a design that's something called a Latin square. So you can change up the order. So each drug will be received by each animal. So when we can study that in the same animals. So they'll receive one drug one week, and then they'll have a washout week, and then they'll start with the next drug. Okay, nice. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So then you, like, you're eliminating some variables there if you're testing it on the same mouse instead of comparing a, a negative mouse to a positive mouse. It's the same one. Okay, that's really neat. Um, kind of going back more to you said you have them do this like touchscreen-based task. What exactly are they doing? Mm-hmm. So the way that my task works is we use visual cues that are circular and they, ha- they have diagonal lines, but they're sort of rotated to different degrees. So in my mice, they learn um, it's all counterbalanced. So each mouse will have a different um, stimulus that's attached to like their positive condition versus their negative condition. So, for example, in the positive condition, they learn that diagonal lines pointing uh, 45 degrees one way that they, if they touch the stimulus, they receive the strawberry milkshake award. And then they have to discriminate that from the negative cue or the negative stimulus, which is 45 degrees the opposite direction, where they learn to not touch that stimulus to avoid a noise and light. So when they can discriminate the two during my testing, I would present them with these ambiguous versions of the cues. So they're either 22 and a half degrees one way or the other, or they're straight up and down vertical, which is like directly in the center between positive and negative. And then I want to see... How do they interpret the cues? Do they think it looks like the positive cue and then touch it? Or do they think it looks more like the negative cue and then do they reject it or not touch it? Wow, that's so neat. So how are you getting the mice to... How long does it take to train the mice to do that? Like, when when is it like, oh, yeah, now it's a good time to use these mice? Mm -hmm. So uh, like I mentioned, they have different phases that they go through and Mm -hmm. we have different criteria that we've already set. So they need to get, for example, like 80% across two consecutive days for this stage. So we track them. So I have an Excel sheet where I track all of their performance. And it normally takes from starting in the touchscreens to learning the task. It's about a month for this particular task. And then they're ready to start their testing. Okay, nice. So it's pretty quick compared to some of the other tasks that our lab uses. That's pretty awesome. Because I was also wondering, like, what is a typical lab day for you? So I, I guess it changes. It depends on the day. And, and since we have our touchscreen systems, um, I normally have to wait for another member to finish before I do. So I guess lately I've, I've had the afternoon time slot. So I normally end up starting around 12. 
So I will come in and I'll get my mice ready. I'll set up all the touchscreen chambers. I'll kind of load it with milkshake. And then I <laughs> put each of the mice in their chambers and start their their uh, the recording the task. And we actually also have like video software mm -hmm. that records or doesn't record it, but it monitors the mice when they're doing their training or their testing. So I can see them on the computer, see what they're doing. So I can see their performance, how they're doing. If there's an issue, I can assess it if I need to. Um, and it normally takes me around if I'm doing many rounds, it can take like four to five hours, depending on the day. But yeah, after I'm done running my mice, then I I feed them and I weigh them <laughs> and then kind of start over for the next day. Nice. Uh, just a quick question. So who supplies your milkshakes? We have a supplier. I think it's Saputo. Oh, and we okay. use the Nielsen strawberry milkshake. <laughs> so you can go to the grocery store and buy it. All right. I thought you were like in the morning, you get ready. You're like all, and you're like, I'm going to stop by the grocery store, grab some milkshake <laughs> for my experiment. Yeah. We, we order it in large quantities because pretty much most of our lab uses the strawberry milkshake for their testing. So we have a lot in our fridge. Yeah. Just don't dis uh, tell people where the lab is. Mm, <laughs> yeah. <don't> go missing. It's <laughs> just so funny to me that they love <laughs> strawberry milkshakes. Um, so back uh, to the test. So you said that they see these symbols that either like they closely resemble the positive and the negative symbols can you do you i don't know how far you are into your project but can you tell us like some results that you've seen so far like looking at these positive versus negative states yeah absolutely so during their testing they they see the positive and negative cues which they were trained on but they see they also see the ambiguous so in terms of what we expect to see in there regardless of any treatment they get they should they should be touching the positive cue so we measure it by something called a hit rate so we calculate by that by the number of times that the mouse touches the cue um, divided by the number of times the cue is presented. So for the positive cue, the hit rate is high. Uh, for the negative cue, it's, it's fairly low because they should be rejecting it and not touching it. And then for the three ambiguous cues, they're sort of in between. And we're st we sort of, s I have some results already. And I found that with when the mice receive a vehicle, which is sort of the solution that is that makes up the drug but isn't the drug itself, um, sort of what the drug is dissolved in, mm -hmm. we see that the hit rate is around 0.5 for the, the true ambiguous, so the very in in the middle cue, um, which is sort of what we expect. It's sort of this um, like neutral bias. And we see with the um, the bupropion, so the, an the antidepressant, we see that the hit rate increases. So they're, they're more likely to touch the, the cue when they um, have the, the drug. And then with the opposite drug, the tetrabenazine, we see that um, the hit rate drops for that true ambiguous cue, so they're less likely to touch that cue, and they're more likely to interpret it as the negative, so they that drops it. Oh, okay, I see. That makes sense. So is the hit rate just simply how much they touch a certain thing? Basically, yeah. Okay. How many times do they touch the cue um, as a ratio of how many times it's there? Okay, all right, okay, that makes sense. And then I guess, like, as a follow-up, how do you know that, like, the doing testing on these mice is an, like analogous to like human work, like if you were doing treatment level things. I think it's rooted in the literature, like the mm -hmm. research on the drugs themselves in in mice, but also humans like bupropion is still used as an antidepressant mm -hmm. in humans. So we're working on like the pharmacological side, but we can't necessarily translate it to any particular disease model yet. We just mm -hmm. wanted to use the, the drugs to validate the task and then we can look further into 
like mechanisms, brain regions, um, and those sorts of things. Okay, nice. So kind of on that note, like what is the overarching goal for like relating this back to humans? Like what are you looking to try to treat or uh, look into there? So negative cognitive judgment bias is apparent in things like anxiety, depression, chronic illness. So I think that we're really early on. So the first step is just to have a task that we can use to evaluate that particular piece of like major depressive disorder. So um, first we'd want to look at that and then eventually we might be able to try certain treatments with this task to see if they'll work in mice first and then eventually get into humans. But I think first we want to um, get the task going and make sure that it's it's valid. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Gonna have to wait a little longer, Carly. <laughs> uh, so why touch screens? Like, is that like a normal thing they do in neuroscience or like with mice that they use touch screens or is that new to your project? Um, it's a growing field. Mm-hmm. So touchscreen research has been really helpful for the translatability aspect. So it's been done in like in mice, in rats. Um, there's also some work in monkeys. And th- what's great about it is that you can yeah, increase the translatability. You can do the exact same task in the mouse as the human. So it really helps to compare across species. And also with touchscreens, there's so many different features in terms of how you can record different measures so like latency measures so how fast or slow they're responding you can look at how many times they touch the screen with the stimulus there or not um, different reward like collection latency so how long it takes them to receive the reward or to um, to approach to get the reward so yeah there's a lot of different measures that can give us a lot of information about what's going on in their performance okay as uh, just another side, would you ever work with monkeys, or is are you fine with mice? Uh, I think I might. I'm used to working with with mice, so I would be a little bit hesitant to work with monkeys, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think it'd be really interesting to see, um, even if my work could translate to monkeys, even. Okay, I feel like monkeys would be scary. I don't know if I could do it. Like just a bunch of monkeys. I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> I don't know about you, Carly. You're a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, for sure. yeah. you probably have to switch your milkshake. You probably have to switch from strawberry to banana too if you switch to monkeys. So good call. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's. I'm still just baffled that these mice can use touch screens. That's just also neat to me. Um, I don't want to turn this into like a self help podcast, but I'm just curious. Like, since you study like co- cognitive judgment bias. Do you like have any tips for people that do have that negative outlook that always think like, oh, if this person's saying my shirt's interesting, they, th- they actually think it sucks and it's ugly. Like, do you do you ever think of anything like that? Uh, I do sometimes. And I think sometimes I sort of, some days even, I feel more pessimistic than others. But I think the master's project has been a big learning experience for me in terms of like when things go wrong, not, not to get discouraged and try to find like the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> so like... I actually had a task that I was trying to validate that just wasn't working. The mice weren't training, they weren't learning it properly, and I was starting to get discouraged. But then I think of the bright side, like there's a lot of lessons that I've learned from it in terms of like what not to do, to share that information with people that might try to do a similar thing as me. So I think of it more as pivoting instead of a failure or necessarily a setback. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay, I've still like, so interesting is what we use as ambiguous. What is, what are like, for the mice, what is considered ambiguous, all right? Like, is it just like a vertical line or is like, can like, to me, it's like, how do you define ambiguous is, I guess, is what I'm asking. 
Right. So for our particular task, since it's visual based, mm-hmm. the ambiguity comes with the visual part. So like with the different angles, since we, we can use the same cues and we just rotate them, it's just the subtlety of the angles that they see. But other tasks in in animals use different tones, like different mm-hmm. auditory tones, or they might use different odors. So there's different ways that you can assess it. Okay. All right. Uh, so we're talking about touchscreens, right? And you have all these parameters. Are you measuring all those parameters? Like you said, you mentioned like, oh, we measured delay and like how many times they tap. Are you also doing that? Yeah. So the, the great thing about the touchscreens is they record them automatically in the system for you. So then once the the mice have run, I will go and extract the data and then I can manipulate it and see all of those measures. I normally will like average them and then plot them on graphs to see how they're responding, like how do they compare between the vehicles or like the control compared to those that are receiving the drugs. Mm -hmm. And then I can um, sort of interpret that and then make any new, um, it will help me, it will inform my claims, but also if I need to adjust like drug dose or parameters, then I can do that. So how much data is that? Like, is it just like, oh, just a few lines on the Excel sheet or is it like 100,000 or something? <laughs> oh, I guess it would be somewhere in between. Um, <laughs> Wait, was that, were they too extreme? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not too much. It It is a lot of data, I would say, because each mouse gets injected for five consecutive days. And then, so that's a week of data. And then within each of the, like, task sessions, they get like 100 of the trained cues and then 30 of the untrained ambiguous. So there's each of those. So then you have all of those sessions. And then once you factor in all the different treatments that they get, there's a lot to go through. But I just try to maintain my organization and <laughs> keep everything aligned. And nice. yeah, that, that helps manage the amount of data. Dang, organizational skills. Does yeah. it transfer to any part of your other life? Like, oh, I can. I'm such so good at scheduling things. <laughs> or like, <laughs> yeah, I think it does. And I keep a an agenda, so I have. I make sure that everything's organized and that everything's done on time or way before time. And, um, nice. yeah, that helps too. Yeah. Definitely. Um, going back to you said you inject the mice with the the drugs. Do you actually do that yourself? Like you do the injections? I do. Yes. So I have to inject them and. I don't like doing it and they don't like it either, but um, yeah, we have to do that. And it's been me doing all the injections just to maintain consistency okay. for the data as well. So I guess since they've received so many injections, they're sort of used to it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> How many mice are you injecting? So for the tasks that I'm, I've been talking about, there were 15 mice. 15 and you do it how many times a day? Uh, it's, it would just be once a day, but it's like over multiple weeks. It's a lot. Yeah. So, like, are they in, like, a little container and you just grab them? And then you yeah. would inject them and put them in a different container? Or is it, like, y- Yeah, easier? so we have, <laughs> we have a, a specific room that we use for injections. And most of the mice are group housed in groups of four. Some of them I had to separate to be single housed because they were fighting. Oh, no. Oh. So, yeah, they sort of have their little houses. And then we we take them out of their houses to inject them and then put them back. Okay. What was it like to grab the mouse your very first time? Oh, that was really scary because they move really quickly. So, yeah, it was. It got a lot of used to handling them mm-hmm. and then injecting them for sure was a learning curve. But I think now since I've had a lot of practice, it's been a lot better and we're, it's less nerve wracking. Okay, <laughs> nice. Um, so you were saying that this is like over multiple weeks you do this test. Like how long, how long is like, does this experiment take place for? Like how, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, 
is there like an age cap where you stop looking at this in the mice or do you follow them for a long period of time? So we started testing them or not testing. They started their training at around three months old. And then after that sort of month of learning the task, then we I mentioned the Latin square. So they've Mm -hmm. counterbalanced all the orders. So that was we did two Latin squares because we first started with a lower dose of bupropion and we didn't seem to see any effects. So that was eight weeks, so like four weeks of treatment with four weeks of washout. And then we did a second Latin square with two higher doses of bupropion. Um, So that was another six weeks. So like three by, yeah, three weeks drug, three weeks washout. Okay. And then, so those mice are actually all finished now. So we ended there. Their experiments, not their lives, I assume. <laughs> Don't ask that question. You know the answer to she that just, question. Like, we ended there and then stopped. <laughs> yeah, the testing was finished then. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask, um, like, I could possibly never tell how old a m- mouse is just by looking at it. Can you tell how old a mouse is just by looking at it now? Um, you can. They tend to look a little bit rougher. Ooh. Sometimes they, um, they're like a little bit heavier. Like if they haven't been testing, then they'll, they'll gain weight. Um, but yeah. All right. I brought a piece of paper here. Could you sketch what it looks like for me? <laughs> I'm, about, no, I'm just kidding. A rugged age. Very good <laughs> yeah. So what, like, is the screen you're using, all I'm picturing is like an iPad that you just placed on <laughs> the thing and the mouse just goes up and touch it. Is it made for like mice fingerprints? I don't know. Mice have fingerprints? Um, so they actually nose poke. They're in this like triangular chamber, like trapezoidal, and then the screen is on one end, and then the opposite end is where the milkshake squirts out into a tray. Mm -hmm. So they can they just run up to the screen and they they touch with their nose normally. Dang, that works. Mm -hmm. What is this? What's the sensor? Can anything uh, trigger the sensor then? Yeah, so it's it's sort of like motion based. They don't actually have to touch the screen as long as they break a beam. Um, so as long as they're close enough to it, then it will register that it's been touched. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you don't actually have to touch it. All right. Uh, do you have any, like, outliers ever? Like, where, like, the, for some reason, this mouse is still clicking always the positive thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, most of the time, they're when they're performing, they perform well. And then they you can track their accuracy. You can track the percentage. And I don't think I've really seen any days where they've completely responded crazily <laughs> okay so you have no outliers and like i'm always happy <laughs> um i mean i guess their baseline measures some of them tend to be seem a bit more optimistic than others mm-hmm. um but they tend to all be around like the chance or, okay like, nice so i'm wondering you mentioned at the start that you your lab's goal is to kind of translate this into an assay for humans correct like you're going to do a touch-based assay for humans as well would that be a similar thing is what you're looking at with the mice with the different symbols or what what would that look like for for humans yeah i think i have to look into it a little bit more not that i know of of any human tasks that are doing what i'm doing so i think we could potentially do a similar task in humans maybe make the um the time that they have to respond a bit quicker so the mice get like a total of two and a half seconds to respond so maybe with a human it could be like in the millisecond so it's quicker Mm -hmm. and like a bit harder for humans so um I'd have to look more into it, but I think that would be interesting if we could do that yeah, exact definitely. same task. Would you reward me with milkshakes if I joined? <laughs> or was, does that not happen for humans? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I don't think we use the, the milkshake for the humans, but oh, no. that would be funny. Dang. 
you could like entice people like that. You know how they send out mass emails here at Western? They're like, we're doing this study. And you could be like, but, and you get milkshakes. I'm just saying, you could get a lot of people coming. All the first year psych students was flocking <laughs> to your life. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I had a serious question. Do you name your mice? I do not name them. Oh they have God. numbers. They I don't want to get too attached to them. <laughs> so I just kind of keep them with their, their number IDs. What's your favorite one? Who is your favorite one? What's his number or her number? Hmm. I think mouse number 10 was kind of my superstar. Oh. <laughs> he was really quick when he was training. And then yeah. when he was doing his testing, he was always like, doing what he was supposed to being a good boy so <laughs> yeah probably a, him looks like you got attached anyway <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna sound so ridiculous but when every time you talk about them doing their training i just hear eye of the tiger in my head <laughs> just like picture these mice like doing all these tasks to that song <laughs> should we try that in the lab one day <laughs> well when you were saying they were like three months old i'm like how like in like if you were to correlate that that to maybe like a human lifespan how like what would that be like six years old 12 um, years old a bit older than that it would be more like young adult ish so oh. like 20s to 30s okay yeah so they're pretty young all right yeah that's pretty young <laughs> has your lab ever considered looking into like if you see the same results in different ages of mice like i'm just thinking like in humans younger kids tend to be more positive and have like a happy outlook on everything whereas older people tend to be more pessimistic like, have you guys thought of looking into that at all um th we haven't thought about doing that yet but i think that would be a really interesting thing like you mentioned um it is true that older aged like individuals tend to have a more pessimistic outlook on life so i think if i were to redo this experiment it would be really cool to start with aged mice and then see how they are just on general baseline without any drugs to see how they're interpreting my cues yeah that'd be uh, neat yeah now i'm curious you said you were pessimistic most of the time yes. how old are you <laughs> i'm 25 okay uh ashlyn what about you pessimistic or optimistic I'd like to say I'm more optimistic. How old are you? 22. Okay. See, she's young. Now, but I'm 29, <laughs> and I like to be optimistic. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> maybe there's. Like, I'm the outlier, maybe. Yeah, I don't you're know. the outlier. <laughs> or maybe you just need to be way older, just like yeah. 60, just mm -hmm. like I hate all these kids. <laughs> um, I guess one more question I can have for you. I don't think we ever covered. Are you a master's or a PhD? Masters. Masters. Okay, what got what got you into study this? Like, mm -hmm. so I did my undergrad degree here at Western in neuroscience. So I I'm, I've always been passionate about the brain, and I came here to Western for the neuroscience program. So I really fell in love with it, and I joined this lab in my third year, and I did my undergraduate thesis in the lab, and I really liked the preclinical work with the mice, and I've always been interested in affective disorders and mood disorders, so um, my project, I wanted it to be based on that sort of thing, so that's how I got into studying this particular topic. That's awesome. It sounds like such a neat project. I hope everything goes well for you going forward. Yeah, I mean it's been awesome having you on, first of all, and I, I'd love to ask you more questions. We went, we're almost out of time, so I'm just going to wrap things up. This, uh, this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Sharon Mandur, and my co-host was Carly. We've been speaking with Ashlyn Hersey, and this episode was produced by Jordan Vanderberg. And also, if you heard some squeaking, it's Annie in the corner. She's a new member of ours. If you'd like to get involved or get in contact with us, email us at, at gradcast.com.
at sogs.ca. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all our episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.